Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Welcome to the Adjusting Show. Welcome to the Adjustment. Are we recording? Do you see red Welcome lines? To the circus. Do you like see? Have <laughs> <laughs> we ever done this before? We're trying to get together here. Have you? Do you see red lines? Get it me. together. I do. This time I do. All right. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Father John, Father Mike. Really happy to see red lines. Why? Hey, folks. You ask? Why, Mike? Um, I'll let you tell the story because, because it's your fault. I'm an idiot. But, a total uh, moron. But it's actually your fault if I can spin this. We're back in the... No, Into the spin zone. That that's up to the audience. All right. So here, audience. That this judgment is, is up to the audience. You so can tell them your, why you think it's my fault. So I am the material cause. No, I'd be the efficient cause, I guess. Uh, we recorded in a wonderful hour conversation that we had about Saint Augustine's that is City of God. True. It was a good one. It was a freaking great podcast. And I pressed the play button and not the record button in GarageBand. So we wow. got to the end and. Nothing. It was a lovely conversation between Mike and I in my room here in Rome. Yeah. And I got the only thing I got, uh, like the only reward I got of the whole thing is, is seeing John upset us. Kind of fun. Yeah. I think I <laughs> collapsed on the bed. Okay. But I'd like to put this on Mike um, instead of myself, just because that's what we do, right? Um, oh, that's what you do. <laughs> I'll put it back on you. Though. All right. So uh, this is actually a bit of a stretch. It's it's completely my fault. But um, you know, Mike's Mike's he's a spontaneity guy. He's a spontaneity guy. He doesn't really do calendars, planning, organization, email, technology. He's a spontaneity guy. He does spontaneity really well. So I thought, you know yeah. what? I'm going to be crazy spontaneous. And I tried three times to be spontaneous in one weekend, and every time it failed. And I was like, I hate spontaneity, right? First time? The uh, trip to... Let's go see St. Augustine tomorrow. Yeah. In Pavia. Let's in Pavia. get on a train. Yeah. Epic. Spontaneity. I do it about once a year. And you were like totally down, of course, because it's oh, spontaneous, yeah. Let's right? Let's ride. And did we go? Nope. No. Failed. Why? Oh, the train was too expensive. The train was too expensive. It was voting day. Yeah, we didn't know it was voting day, and you have to vote in your district, so everybody was traveling on trains. So that sucked. Spontaneity number one, fail. Spontaneity number two, you know what it was? Let's drink tonics tonight. Because oh. it's Lent. Was that so that... Here's the thing. That was spontaneous, and it sucked. Just like... That was during the last podcast. I know. That was during the City of God thing. And I'm actually doing it again tonight. Yeah, this cheers. is not spontaneous. This is just out of necessity because Father Mike is drinking the greatest scotch. Oh, but yes. I, but I hyped it up, and he hates hype. Cheers. I don't like hype. Still so I'm going to try to stay objective because I don't like being told that I'm going to like something or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, this yep. is pretty good. Yeah. We were joking. This is it, pretty good, man. We were joking um, that we like this scotch because it tastes like bourbon. But that's very offensive to Scottish people, so... I mean, it's still got the smoky. Yeah, uh, we'll really talk about Scott. this. We it's got a great, Scottish. great shout out, and we will keep. We're going to keep the w- listeners, make them stay through the banter to figure out what kind of scotch is this. How's that? Like a little incentive. You got to listen to the end of the podcast. Oh, I see. Okay, here's the here's the thing though. Man. Second spot in eighty. Oh, okay. Tonic sucked. Tonic. Oh yeah, yeah. And he's he's got me drinking this tonic straight up. Yeah. Tonic is not good. No. I don't. It's it's a mixer. Yeah, it should stay a mixer. Why are you drinking it again? I yeah, don't know. Uh, it's Lent, man. I'm getting time. crazy. I don't know. Penance, man. I know. Did you have uh, something to add there before I go to the third failed spontaneity? Well, no, I just didn't know if... See, the thing was, 
we lost the last one. Yeah. And now I'm all confused about what we talked about. Because yeah. I don't like to repeat banter or right. anything right. or I, whatever, right. for that matter. I, actually, I thought we were going to repeat the same topic, but I'm kind of intrigued now. Well, I thought I'd wait on the topic again. So it was St. Augustine and um, City of God. But I haven't finished the City of God. Okay. And you were asking some good questions that I didn't really answer very well. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to punt on that one for well, a couple Well, no, minutes. it was stuff like, you know, at some point we talked about your friend's book. Right. But was that on so, the first episode we recorded? No. Or the so second? I got a couple of notes here of things okay. that so you we got to make sure know what we we've cover. Talked about. Yeah, we got to right. cover some, some just important stuff. Just the spontaneity stuff. thing. All right, you can finish banter. this thing. So the third moment of spontaneity and the last was I was going to sneak attack him. Yeah, on the, the sneak podcast. Attack. Sneak attack. So he is screwing around, looking at his phone, checking face, Facebook or whatever. And look, I and got, I was like, I'm going to get him because he always, I always have to press. Pl- so we're in my room and we're in the two chairs, but the computer's over there. So I have to walk over, press record, and then he gets his 10 seconds of singing or doing something yeah, really dumb. So do some intro. Well, here's the thing though. Look, I'm spontaneous, but I'm not like clever. <laughs> You know, so I I give you some pretty bad intros, mm-hmm. and but at least they're like I, I don't know mixing it up variety. Yeah. It, there's there's it's a variety pack for sure. <laughs> it's a variety pack. Yeah, you bring the variety. Yeah, I I'm, I'm definitely miserable vanilla, vanilla, miserable variety vanilla. pack. And I'm not that clever either. So the end of the story. This very long, very dumb story. But you did sneak attack. I tried you to sneak attack. Him. I think you successfully sneak attack. I think I did. The effect of the sneak attack though was I pressed quickly the button and ran over here and tried to start it and I had him but then an hour later realized yeah I got nothing and we talked like idiots you know watching the, you know hey, hey, hey. yep yep and now we got to time it again because it's so late. I do see it's the late I see the the red bar and the lines okay you, you see the red see bar and lines it, it's recording excellent so yeah so anyways enough complaining griping uh, I'm like the Israelites moving through the desert. Now we had these guys go to Egypt. This is all the rage right now. These guys went to Sinai and they hiked Mount Sinai. Did you hear about this? In the dark and said mass on the top. Guys, oh, yeah. that well, that's cool. I know I haven't really heard about cool. it yet. I got to ask around. mass on top of Mount Sinai at sunrise. I was like, that is oh yeah, really cool. And then they went down to St. Catherine's Monastery. They weren't worried about. See, they wouldn't let us do that when I was over there in Jerusalem, yeah. living for a semester. They have the just like. The regular part of the program is an excursion to Sinai. So you, you've been but to Mount the, Sinai? No. Well, at the time we couldn't do it because the, it was dangerous. Yeah. Because it's kind of like remote yeah. Sinai. Well, they but say North, I would North Sinai love is to see, like, and St. Catherine's Monastery is like super famous for these right. Bible manuscripts. Right. And but, I would love to see it, man. Well, they say that North Sinai is in pretty bad shape. But the South, I guess, is safer. I don't know. I think things have changed a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I don't uh, don't take your family there uh, on this podcast recommendation. So that's. Uh, I'm going to pick up my phone. It's kind of charging, but it was blowing up. So I want to see. B- I I'm kind of like addicted to the phone. Yeah. Maybe I should just ignore it. But I thought you were doing the nine to what nine. Is, Did you do nine to nine? I have been doing nine to nine, but you know what? I'm getting ready to go on retreat now. Uh, so I've got all these like outstanding. Emails out and people are going to try to get in touch, to organize. No, that's cool. I don't know. Uh, no, go I'm going to ignore it. Yeah, if you need no, to take care you know, of this, I was going to be present. I was looking I'm at this for to research. Trying to be present. You are very present. You are very present. You know what though? Going back to your awkward thing, I'm, I'm feeling a little awkward tonight. I've been lamenting to you, um, just getting old. You know, just like not relevant. Not you're just you just losing touch with this younger generation. College chaplain now, um, and. Uh, 
but I'm just saying like really dumb things now. Like yeah, but I'm, why? I, it's like old man. Like it's yeah, but and, like, why? Am, I, am I losing my filter? Why like, this year and not last year? You were cool. I think last I was. Year. No, I think I was dumb last year and I didn't know. Oh, <laughs> I believe that. Like just like really. That's it, how it's got to happen. Oh man. man, I'm just like saying like it's just like everything that comes out of my mouth. I was like that was the dumbest thing you could have said. Why did you say that? So how can we flip this so it's positive though? You know. Well, I think like, I have okay, to take I just, myself I just less seriously. Thirty-five. Yeah. It's not that old, but if you're, yeah, if you're dealing with young, young people, then you do feel old. I'm drinking tonic but like, tonight. Can we take it to the extreme and say things like <laughs> the old guys can do? You know? Yeah. Well, part of it's it is like just grumbling in public. Or? I think part of it is just growing up. You just you become a little more self-aware. You know. Um, like I think I've always kind of said dumb things a lot and just, I'm just getting yeah. older and realizing it. So for example, this is a very dangerous question. Don't ever take the bait on this one. I'm sitting with, um, a certain guy I knew from CU, uh, who remained nameless and his girlfriend, not Catholic. And, um, we're talking CU. We're just talking Colorado yeah, days. Buffs. Buffs. Go buffs. And, uh, and I said, were you, are you in a sorority? She says, yeah. Which one was I in? And I was like, oh no. This is like a very dangerous, very, very dangerous question. So I, I Why? first one that came to mind and she was, she was not happy. It was like, I can't believe you think I'd be one of them. And I was like, oh no, because you're trying to answer it for real. Just make up some Greek letters. I know, Delta, but I actually Delta knew. Delta Phi Sigma. Delta Phi, I think is one of them. Yeah. That these are going to be the like ones real she was things. actually This in. is the problem. That's They're the problem. all, there's only three letters. Yeah. So I was doing that. And then I was at talking to some people, uh, about indie music, um, you know, now when you think of indie music, what do you think of? Because you're kind of uh, punk. Oh, is that it? What punk? is indie? Uh, wow, indie is so hard to define. See, though. that's part of it. It's like impossible to define. I don't know. It's just like. So I was like, it's the kind of thing where you hear, you hear names of bands or you hear songs and you say, "Oh, that's indie." Right. But like, how to define it or like? Right. So we I got don't know. we got in this debate because they said the girl Mary said, "Head in the heart is that's." She says, I'm into indie. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like Weezer. And she's like, please. And I was like, oh, come on. Weezer's awesome. You know, Whoa. but that's what like was 90s. It too popular. Oh, it's old. And that, but Hannah, Hannah Wilson listens to Weezer. Did you know that? And she's indie. She's, she's kind of like, what's the, so yeah, indie is one of these prove? amorphous things. I was like, what is indie? Like my father, Mike likes Blink-182. And she's like, oh my god, That's never been true. Everybody <laughs> knows that. Oh my. But I was like, and that's not know. indie either. I wouldn't say. I know. I so what I is indie? I don't know what indie is. Indie films kind of take the definition for me now. Right. I don't know. I just got weird noise. The pop. Oh, that was because I knocked my tonic thing out. Oh. How's your uh, scotch, Justin? Um, yeah, but the, I guess the idea is like lower lower budget or lower audience. It's less popular or something. I guess so. More but, niche. So you can kind of like push the envelope a little more. But I got confused when they were like, head in the heart is indie. And I was like, What? Head and Heart's not indie. And they're like, well, what do you listen to? And I it's think- like, I can't define it. And then I'm like, I'm just, I'm just as bad as the indie people because I'm like, you can't, don't put me in a box. You know? Head and the Heart, they, they, they try to be a little more experimental and they have a kind of cult following. So maybe right. that's what indie is. Right. You know, like there's people, if you, if you're in with the Head and the Heart, you're like a, a fan. You know? Okay. And so it's kind of more of the community. niche and the, yeah. Especially early on, Head and the Heart, then they get kind of big. Yeah, I'm, I, I wouldn't consider them indie. I don't know. Okay, well that's good. No, the scotch is fantastic. I don't know what. Oh man, that's good stuff. It does taste a little bourbony though. Yeah, I mean, it's like oh, but that's welcome. I already, I already, I mean, well, like, I what already happened? wrote so Phil Bartline and said, "Do you have this?" 
stock it for the summer. Is this this uh, is our friend who has a liquor store back home? It is. It's is it a hybrid? Is it an intentional thing? Oh, oh, oh. it's a special edition. Oh my gosh, matured exclusively in Spanish sherry. Something. But aren't they? Butts. I thought they all, all were casks. This is the cask thing. I know, but the Spanish sherry. Do they do them in sherry. Uh, I think that's the that's the flavor you're tasting. I think something with Spanish. You remember when we went to Oban? Yep. They were telling yeah, us something Spanish about one. Spanish casks. Maybe Spanish sherry casks are in. I don't know. But we're going to save the name for the end here, um, and we'll shout out our friends. So anyways, yeah, just feeling – so thank you for processing through this little kind of like, you know – You're just feeling awkward. What are we in? It's not quarter-life crisis. Now awkward. it's like before midlife. It's just kind of old and awkward, yeah. So Well, I, you know what? It's, it does it – can be. it can feel very liberating to quit being relevant, mm-hmm. you know? You got to try real hard. When you're a kid, you're trying so hard. High right. school, dang, man, you're trying. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm cool. I'm. The other thing, and this is what I like about your style, everybody's awkward. Right? Yeah. Everybody's well, that's been, yeah, that's kind of been my strategy for a yeah. long time. Which know? is actually, that's a great strategy. I that's feel a great comfortable kind of like with everybody because you're all presupposition. weird. I will say that doing a doctorate um, doesn't make you more effective at college ministry. I think we could posit that, you know. Yeah. You get more like yeah. kind of brainy. Nerd. Nerd alert. Yeah. Nerd so, alert. Yeah. Um, That's true. And a lot of your currency comes from like cool. Not anymore though. No. <laughs> oh, no, no. Not anymore. But if you take them for a hike or something, you know, get them under your turf. I know. I did that and they're still complaining about it. They're all flatlanders. So I That's took. That's true. They were huffing you, and puffing, man. They did were I tell you about a about CC? Would you rank that an easy, medium, or hard hike? Yeah. From a CC? No, the they time asked of me CC that and the then I felt very on the spot because I. I was like, hi, is it, was tough, oh, maybe medium? I said medium hike. It's actually they, kind of a yeah, funny... Yeah, I could see their faces change and like the groaning and everything. It's kind of a funny joke now. It's just everything's the medium hike, you know, but say so love you. So um, it's actually going well. Life is good. We are um, in it, about to go through a big change here, though. I mean, we're, we're taking a little break here. Oh, here, wait. What, what, t- t- talking about being old. Oh, yeah, sir. Okay, so I brought my supplement. I was trying to look for a segue. <laughs> <laughs> so I take, uh, I don't know why, but this is kind of a new thing. It's uh, a multivitamin. Because I was told, all these people are talking about... Multivitamin people. Multivitamins. Uh-huh. Are, like, it's good because... Is it helpful? You know, every, you know, like, there's a million different theories about what's healthy eating. You know that. Yeah. There's all these fads. Yeah, yeah. Things yeah. come and go. It's always different. I grew up with this pyramid thing, and everybody hates that now. <laughs> it's like upside down. Every I, it's very confusing to me because right. I don't totally care. Right. But the one constant is well, if you take a multivitamin, you kind of equalize everything. Right. You get all those nutrients and whatever. And uh, so I yeah cool. And then I was like becoming oversensitive to coffee. It was just like too acidic, and right. then also like I drink too much of it and I'd go buzzing and crazy and stuff. So then. Our friend Father Evan Coop said, B12, man, B12. B12. It'll give you constant energy. You're going to feel like you're on coffee all the time. And I'm like, well, am I going to sleep? Yep, no problem. It's just very natural and everything. B12. It'll do your taxes for you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. It was like solve all. So I got the B12, and um, I was excited about the B12. Uh, I kind of like looked around, oh, I'll find the right product or whatever, and got some. It's just like got it on Amazon. But then, I'm, and I've been taking it, it, it's just this tiny little pill. It tastes like, you know, Flintstone's vitamin. It's delicious. You put it under your tongue, it, it dissolves. 
Um, I'm looking at the back of this thing, and it's, you know, like the percentage of the daily allowance or like amount that you need or should have or whatever. Look at the look at the numbers on this one <laughs> tablet daily, okay? This what does one? it say? What does it say? <laughs> the the 400,000%? 400,000% of your daily need or something? I've no, is For that one that's one tiny little tablet? 40,000, I think. 40,000? Uh, that's crazy. That seems that's like a bit of a good. A bit of a overkill. You're gonna overdose on B12. You are gonna be. You're gonna be. So I wanted to ask you about B12 because I'm like you're gonna have this dissertation finished by Sunday. I'm like buying these supplements on the internet in Europe. Who's regulating this stuff? Yeah. Why does it say four hundred forty thousand percent daily? Yeah, that is a that's a question for. How about giving me like if you give me a hundred percent daily (laughs) or somewhere near there? uh, I'll do two hundred percent, but forty thousand percent. And like if you see my energy levels spike really crazily, (laughs) then you're gonna have to find and destroy this bottle of B12. Oh my gosh, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, we're getting old, Mikey. Um, I brought this is totally non sequitur. This isn't. (laughs) My dad gives me all these. uh, What do you got? Parents came what to you town. got there, young man? My parents came to town, and my dad always gives me these business books. Oh, yes. We love these business books. F- level uh, 5 leadership. <laughs> so I found this in, mm. in Good to Great or Five Dysfunctions of a Team. These are all good, helpful books, but we got, he gave me one called Managing Transitions. I was like, I could have oh, used yeah. this three yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a little bit late here. So, um, But this fell out of it, and I wasn't sure if this was a sign from my dad, like a He's picking up on my mom's Minnesota passive aggressive things, but look at the circled one, number two. In over two thirds of the comparison cases, we noted the presence of a gargantuan personal ego that contributed to the demise or continued mediocrity of the company. Yeah. Do you think that's a, yeah, I thought you get a kick out of that. Maybe this that's is it. a level five leaders. Well, a gargantuan personal ego. Well, no, this is the thing I can't understand. The, the first one says, <laughs> level level five leaders have no ego or self interest, and then the next one is gargantuan personal ego, yeah, that ruined the company. So maybe this is how to get to no ego and still be a leader. Possibly, yeah. I don't think that's real. I don't think it's possible. Uh, I don't I'm, know. Now you got me intrigued. Level five leadership. Level five leaders to be continued. We'll level get back five to leadership. We'll do you a go little from research. being awesome to being nothing and level kind of like hiding leader. in the. Well, that's a great lead-in to our topic tonight. Level five leadership. Level five oh, leadership. Man. Mary, I have to sit here for the next four. Mother minutes. of the church. You know level, how I like that stuff. Level five leadership. No, Mary, mother of the church is our topic, and that's actually not a lead-in. I'm not even going to try to make that connection. No, Mary, mother of the church is awesome. She's I'm a looking level forward five to this. Leader. I know. Level I, five you, leader. You did warn me that you were going to do a podcast on this, and I was not surprised. You were so stoked. Yep, I was pretty stoked. Um, this one is. This one hits home. You know. Because I work on the relationship. My dissertation involves the relationship of Mary and the church, Mary and the church. So ecclesiology and Mariology are the technical fields, and I'm very interested in their relationship. So we're going to chat. We're having a little chat tonight. That's what Walsh always says, my spiritual director. Mary, mother of the church. But Mary, mother of the church. Why? Because last month, you might have caught the news in the Bolatino, Sala Stampa della Santa Sede, so the press office of the Holy See put out a little news here that said this was in the beginning of March. So 
just over a month from when this podcast comes out, that the Congregation for um, Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments has made, at the Holy Father's request, issued a decree for a new feast day in the church. Yeah, yeah. And that feast day is called the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of the Church. Oh, yes. And it is in the Roman calendar, and it's, I'm looking at the Latin text, that's not very helpful right now, um, French, no thank you, and um, yeah, I was pretty I was pretty excited about it. Um, I thought, you know what, this is like, this is a big deal, because... You know what, I couldn't figure out, I mean, this may be the premature question here, because you're going to present, but yeah. um, how is this new? Right. This is like the old as the hills. Mm-hmm. Um, was it in a calendar once and then it was abrogated? And I mean, we've had a, like over the course of history, there's been a lot of like clearing out the old feasts and putting new ones in and everything. Right. And I think it, the second Vatican council, did they clear the calendar again? And now we're kind of getting stuff back in there slowly. Right. No, that's a good question. So, yeah, um, saves, yeah so what we're talking about here is we're talking about, um, there's this phrase in the church, lex orandi, lex credendi. So as we pray, so as we believe, right? And there's a relationship between how we yeah, pray kind and of how mutual, we worship. Uh, reciprocal kind of. Right, and they kind of play. So it's important that we're reflecting on both those ways. So the liturgy becomes a place where we we kind of come to understand the faith, and so the church introduces these um, ideas or these uh, devotions because the purpose of this is to increase devotion to Our Lady, but also to come to a deeper awareness of the motherhood of the church, all right, that was what they listed in the bulletino in the decree. Her motherhood of the church or the motherhood of the, the church? The motherhood of the church. Good good distinction. Yeah. The motherhood of the church. Um, because Mary and the church are a dual motherhood, but they're in the same. It's a, it's a shared motherhood. What am I trying Yeah. I mean, like this. the first, first thought I had from the title was like, Mary, mother of the church. Well, how can she be the mother of the church? She was mother of God. Right. She was the mother of... Jesus and not the mother of anybody else. Right. Right. Didn't have kids. Right. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about some sort of spiritual motherhood or Exactly. Yep. Something like that. Yep. So one last note on just the liturgy and then we'll dive in. I'm gonna give you a little history brief here uh, and a little So wait, did you say the date? Yeah, it's the Monday Monday after after Pentecost. Pentecost. Which this year falls on? Yeah. May twenty first. My my ordination anniversary. Oh, that's right. Okay. So I was pretty excited about that. And we just went to Lourdes, so we're pretty excited about Mary. And uh, and uh, Mike, I, I was thinking, I was like, as a guy who studies Mariology, I never do the Mary stuff. You are always doing the Mary stuff. You just didn't, you know. So I was like, okay, this is good. I've no, it's a different way of uh, being devout. Right. You spend right. more time, you know, right. in devotion. Right. But you do have a great devotion to Our Lady. I and, love Our Lady. And Absolutely. It is a, and I'm, uh, I'm really stoked about this. Yeah. So, this new feast. So I'm trying to think. There's This is one of those topics. It's like kind of impossible to do because there's so much in my head and I'm like, how do I just simply lay this out? So I'm going to take you to Taverna Trulusa where my parents said, what is your, what is your, um, dissertation about? Can we just get into it? This is on the recent visit. Right. right. But I said, before I do that, I want to tell you about the, this feast of Mary Mother of the Church because I wrote a little article that came out in Catholic News Agency last week and I think it's coming out in the Denver Catholic in a week. We can send the link to it. It's only 500 words or whatever where I just laid this out. So I'm going to try and just explain it from this to help kind of keep it simple. So Great. the backstory is Mary freaks out non-Catholics, right? And the church freaks out non-Catholics. Um, but with Mary in particular, my usual conversation usually goes like something like this with non-Catholics. 
Why do you guys worship Mary? We don't worship Mary. Yeah, you do. No, we don't. Yeah, you do. No, we don't. Okay. And then that's, they usually don't go much further than that. But if they do, then it's like, well, what do you do? Well, we, we honor Mary, right? We reverence her. And there's a difference, huge difference there. Worship is only given to God, but there's this kind of reverence, this recognition of Mary. And then they say, well, why do you honor, recognize Mary? Quickest, shortest answer I usually give is because she contributed the humanity to God, right? She gave God his humanity. He chose to be incarnate. He could have just kind of whipped this thing. He could have done it any other way, but he chose to be born of a woman, and she contributed his humanity, this this person, right? This one little yeah. created human being. So, yeah. And that's good. I mean, that explains, like, why do we, yeah, why do we, why do we honor this woman? And, and in particular, because I would have gone in the route, and I, I think I often do, of having to go into this elaborate explanation of, Christians are connected to a whole spiritual realm. Right. And we can talk to angels and right. we can talk to saints and we can talk to people who have died. And uh, we don't have the same qualms that they do, you know. And we even use the word like pray to the saints. Right. Um, but what we're, we're not worshiping. Right. We're not worshiping. And, but it sounds so semantic. Right. You know, we're actually just asking for their prayers. Um, you can develop friendships. You can develop like... You know, so it's that whole world is kind of weird for them, but Mary's like right at the top of that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, of all the saints, this is she's it. You know, she's like the top, and she's the exemplar, and and then much more because she, unlike the rest of the saints, had this special relationship with Jesus, the incarnate God, um, as mother. Yeah, that's good. That's right on. So yeah, there's kind of two different approaches you can take to it. You can take the the approach of exemplar. She's the model. Um, because of her graced existence, or she's the mother, and they're intimately connected. But if you go back to the early church, you realize that Mary and the church, um, this person and the church, this, the, these two different kind of mysteries, were always talked about in relationship. They are always held in relationship all through the early centuries of the church, and it was especially around virginity and maternity. And what's curious is that Mary's maternity is first meditated and then reflected on the church. Oh, the church is a mother herself, just like Mary. And they're, they're in this intimate relationship. Likewise, the church in the early, early, early centuries, second, third century, focusing on her virginity, the church is a virgin. She's pure, spotless, coming from Paul, right? Ephesians. And, uh, then mm-hmm. reflecting on understanding Mary and unpacking her virginity. So theologically, our understandings of this develop. Because remember, the way that dogma works, teaching, is it unpacks, right? Theology is it's like it's organic. It unfolds. It's like a tree that just continues to grow through history. So these things, they unfold. Jesus doesn't just give us, Mary, Mother of the Church, will be celebrated on the Monday after Pentecost. No, but that's like the leaf that's on the tree that's... Two, after 2,000 years of growth, right? And yeah. it's part of the same in, integral organic and process. And even before, you had, I mean, the Old Testament image of virgin daughter Zion. Right. And the Lord espousing his people. And the people are this feminine collective. Um, and it, they're not always referred to that way. I mean, there's a lot of different terms for Israel or the people of God. or, um, But there there are these kind of feminine collective um references that I think were in some way like kind of paved the way for Christian reference to the church that is like this you know followers of the group the body of Christ the group of um, followers of Christ as absolutely yeah. this feminine 
entity. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Daughter, the daughter of Zion. There's so much here to go into. Oh, it's crazy. Um, so I didn't want yeah, to throw no, no, it no, off. No, just good. to say that this is continuity that yeah. didn't even just start with somebody like Paul. You know? Right. Yeah, exactly. It goes back to the woman, right? Genesis, right? The helpmate, um, the woman who's created from the side. And it's so the, the image of the woman is in the beginning, right in the beginning of Genesis and right in the end as well. Gen, uh, Revelation chapter 12, right? And it's only in reference of understanding those two that the whole theological history and source and this feast and everything are unpacking because the new, because you have the old Eve in Genesis and then you have the new Eve, the new apocalyptic woman of Revelation 12, as you know, as a Bible mm-hmm. guy. But that woman in Revelation 12, who gives birth to the, the God-man and is attacked by um, Satan because of it, that woman is understood by the fathers early on as both Mary and the church. Right. So the relationship, mm-hmm. so when we, say, when we say that Mary and the church are in an intimate, intrinsic relationship, so much so that they, you can't understand one without the other, we're talking about is because they have a mutual identity in the, as the new Eve. One is a is a personal realization. One is a collective realization. But they are together, the new Eve. They fulfill what the old Eve failed to do. If the old Eve was the mother of the living, then the new Eve becomes the true mother of the living. Right? She's the spiritual mother of of the new creation because Christ is the spiritual father as the new Adam, spiritual father of uh, of the new creation. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's. The I mean, new, it's it's weird, right? I mean, it's like hard to grasp. It is. And it is. But and so it does make sense. You have these kind of typological relationships, and you have this something of a very concrete expression of the whole in Mary, and uh, in this kind of singular uh, person, right? And then also looking at Mary, you have this image of the ideal church or. The church itself, you know, and the way it relates to Jesus throughout the Gospels, and all—I mean, it's just—it's just funny to think of like this two, these two entities. But right. it's really just the two, so you can kind of wrap your mind around it, right? Right. And they together—they're uh, prefigured in Daughter Zion, like you're saying in the in the Old Testament. Um, the Israel starts to be described as a daughter of God, but also as the spouse, right? Mm-hmm. As the the espoused to God, and then betraying, and then Mary kind of assumes that and fulfills that. But the interesting thing is that as Catholics, we feel very comfortable. I actually talked to Molly Rogan about this, and I said, I think you would hate walking into the lower basilica of um, Lourdes because it's just like, bam, Mary right there, right? Oh, yeah. It's a big Mary. And it says it says uh, to Jesus through Mary, you know, so it's like to Jesus, but yeah, that would just be a lot. But we feel very comfortable in this because we understand that not that we worship the feminine, but we see that God desired and, and and it was fitting for him to use a feminine counterpart, so to speak, for the work of creation. So he desired, just as to be the new Adam, he wanted a new Eve to be his helpmate, co-worker, and to participate in that. Now, obviously... That's not divine, but it shares in the divine life through grace. And that's why Mary's existence was graced, because she was to be the new Eve in this personal form. And the church is graced and sinless, right? The church is not just a bunch of churches. It's not just an institution. It's not just a bunch of angry celibate men in Rome who don't want you to contracept in these things. You know, that's what people think of the church. <laughs> it's a, it's a totally reductive. graced 
totally graced mystery that, um, just like Mary, is pure, is perfect, is sinless, mm-hmm. in order to take on and fulfill that mission, which is to be the new Eve. So we call that typology. She's the type. She's the model, uh, the anti-type of the old one. Right? So she fulfills that as the new Eve. So that's that's their identity. Yeah. But then it gets tricky because Mary is the mother of God. You know, so is the church the mother of God? No, Jesus is oh, physical. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about it. So, like, so okay. check this out. So this is where it gets kind of, this is where it gets local, my friend. Because um, we have a role as the church, you know, like we're living in this reality, right? Right. So this isn't, isn't just talking about like people who lived once or some abstract like possibility. It's like we're doing this. Right. Right. So we have this relationship with God that's being graced. And that's forming us communally into this, whatever it is, this, um, you know, uh, kind of bride and daughter and um, special relationship with God. Right. But not everything, not the mother, right. mother part, mother well, of God part. Right. So so this is where it gets tricky, is that we have to remember, okay, um, so in the incarnation, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity becomes man, is incarnate as man, and... Um, there's no such thing as birth without a mother, of course, right? So Jesus is born, his huma- assumes humanity, is born of the virgin, right there in Galatians 4, center of the, you know, the apostolic creed, born of a woman. So he constitutes the way that God comes into the world as being born of a woman. He does that first in his physical humanity, and then the question becomes, well, how is Christ born? Because faith is about a rebirth, a new birth, Right? And there's always a mother. So what happens is that God is in Christ is born of this physical woman. But in her intrinsic relationship with the church, Mary's motherhood continues to be the mode by which the church gives becomes a mother and gives birth to Christ in souls. So the church is your mother, why? Because God was born in your soul in baptism and continues to be born right. in your soul through that. But the church does that through Mary's because Mary is the in a in a fuller, more profound way, in a more mysterious way, the mother of God because she did it historically and theologically before the church. Whoa, I know. Man, sorry, this is trippy. So here's no, what I'll, I like that, but I was wondering have you have you played with this image of? Um, the Christians as the little Christs, you know? Right. You're like the ones who have been chrismated. You're the, you're the anointed ones. Right. Like, we're not Jesus, obviously, um, but we are we're sharing in his identity somehow. You know, right. like we're, we have the same relationship to God as Father. We're adopted sons. We're right. adopted brothers to Christ. You know, but, but we share in that Christ-like um, identity and even his mission. You know, we're very closely bound to Jesus. So there's something about when the church gives us birth, when Mary gives us birth, we share in, yeah, in just the, the very identity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then we are somehow representing him in the world, you know? Right. So um, Monsignor Esif would say, You are Jesus. You are Jesus. You are Jesus, right? And that, of course, has to be understood analogously because we participate in the Son through grace. But when that grace is communicated in history, it's it's communicated as a rebirth. Like you're born into Christ. This is at the heart of the faith. 
So the soul becomes a spouse to Christ, but is born in Christ, and that birth requires a mother, and that mother is the church, because of her intimate union with Mary. So Mary's motherhood, and this is what's so beautiful and mysterious, and, and I'm not doing justice to it, but at the foot of the cross, so think of it like this. You have, you have motherhood, and then you have this typology, this new Eve thing, right? And so at the foot of the cross, Mary is standing there, and she's standing there participating silently in the cross of Jesus and the, res- and the redemption. And this is what Matthias Shaban says, who I'm working on this dissertation right now. He says that Mary is inserted into the church in that moment when Jesus gives her to John. So she actually is a full member of the church, and she stands there at Pentecost, right, in the midst of the church, as the heart of the church. So mm-hmm. Mary is truly, yeah. truly a member of the church. She's totally in the church. She is the heart of the church. She's the root kind of source of the church um, in that sense. But because Mary proleptically received the graces and participated in Christ, Mary actually participated in the union of Christ and the church. She helped to bring them together at the foot of the cross through her silent and hidden but perfect participation. And in that sense, she transcends the church. So Mary is a member and she's totally inserted, but she also is above. Because the church is, because at the she, end of the day, the body of Christ. And Mary, if she's the mother of Christ, then Mary would be the mother of the body of Christ as well. Which brings us to this feast. I know. Trippy. If you want oh, to pour, no, I mean, pour I, another scotch. I think, it's very, I think it's very interesting. And this is where I, I think, I mean, they're beautiful all these different types. I'm just trying to wrap my head around it and try to come up with some like analogy that helps me make sense of it. Mm-hmm. One thing that comes to mind is like, there's this like, okay, there, there's like typology in scripture that goes from this long time ago, there was this person and we have stories about them and we know about them and they had an effect on the world. And now you have somebody else who comes along later and we're reporting them as if they relate to that other person, you know, like the, the old Eve and the new Eve and everything. And this is all like providential. Like somehow this is um, making things right that one that went wrong at one point or something like that. Okay. And then you have, that's like a horizontal plane in mm-hmm. my mind. And then you have like this vertical plane that is some sort of typology like when we uh, celebrate the mass every day, it participates in the same mass that happened once on Calvary and that happens eternally and all like at every moment somehow in heaven. So whatever's going on in heaven, that's like bigger reality is happening for us in this moment, you know, that we, that we celebrate momentarily, but repeatedly and everything. Um, and that's where I'm trying to kind of like come to this idea of uh, Mary is a real person. Person, I mean, we're talking about a real person who is somewhere, but also uh, takes form here in some very um, like real and manifest ways, and uh, is related to the church in this um, like very profound way. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah, I mean, that piece of like the transcendence. I'm still that'll take me a little bit to to kind of chew on, but I, 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 I mean, yeah. this is where like your kind of expertise it really like pulls away from the pack and I like it. I'm like really excited about what you're saying right, right. now. Cause sometimes I wonder like, is this theology sort of parroting the same ideas 
in a lot of right. the same ways? Or are we like actually co- like coming up, like developing new, right. is it actually, is new the ways of articulating yeah. things? Yeah. And, um, so I'm, I'm just kind of excited. I'm yeah. Thanks. I think, uh, yeah, I'm not really explaining this as well as I'd like, but I like that last thing you said about the best analogy is to think of like the Eucharist is the sacrifice of Christ and now represented, it's re-affected. It's the same sacrifice and it's happening in our souls. It happened today. Yeah. In an analogous way, we could speak of the birth of God in the world definitively happening in the incarnation and now in a participation and an analogous way happening in the Eucharist and in souls in the church. church. So the church becomes the instrument by which the incarnation is kind of extended, is kind of continues to work in the souls, right? So through Mary's divine maternity, the church gives birth sacramentally to the Eucharist and spiritually in souls. God is continuing to be born in the world, uh, born in his church, born in souls. Um, and Mary's motherhood, because she is the mother of God, would always be connected to that. There's no such thing as Christ being born in a soul without Mary, because that would that would violate the the whole integrity and the whole kind of plan of the incarnation. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I think that was clear. I think that was good. Good, good explanation. Okay, we better. Uh, I better um, pull the ripcord here and uh, and go into a little bit of the recent stuff here. So so fast forward to um, the late Middle Ages. The Church takes on temporal power, and it gets kind of. Um, its appearance gets kind of mired by this, right? And it's just, it starts to get kind of nasty. On the other side, Mary gets kind of exalted, you know, because the medieval heart just starts to soar and soar. And one of the things that happens is they start to meditate on this bridal dimension more. Song of Songs comes in, and these guys like Bernard of Clairvaux and these Cistercians. So Mary and the church start to separate, because remember, they were always together, always in this intimate relationship together as the new Eve. And then they start to separate and separate, late Middle Ages. Protestant Reformation happens. What happens? Both of them out, right? Church is out. Uh, Mary's out. For four centuries... For the Protestants. For the Protestants. For four centuries... What do, what do the Catholics do? Well, we, we start doing Mariology and Ecclesiology separately. Yeah. And we don't talk about them in a relationship. And we start to kind of fight on that front. But Mary and the Church don't make sense when they're separated from each other. Because Mary needs to be understood in her maternal relationship with the church, and the church needs to be understood in her maternal relationship with Mary. Mary looks like a goddess when she's separated from the church. Church looks like a cold institution, sociological phenomenon when it's separated from Mary. Right. So 19th century, some guys start to redevelop this stuff, and then the 20th century, it really takes off. And you have so much so that in the Second Vatican Council, you have a definitive decision to reintegrate Mary in the... Um, into the constitution called Lumen Gentium, which is on the church. So Mary and the church are dogmatically united again, right? The last chapter of Lumen Gentium is on Mary. Now that frustrates a lot of people because they feel like what you just did was you just buried Mary in the church now. And it kind of happened. After, she's an appendix. After the council, she becomes an appendix. She becomes just, she's just like us. She's so relatable now, right? Mm. She was too lofty. And I, it's very interesting. Well, I, I, people have their critiques of Lumen Gentium. Right, right, right. So um, maybe that's part of it too. It is. Just and like, and if, the, if you want weak sauce, social justice entirely, right. sort, of, sort of political program yeah. with Lumen, Lumen Gentium, Gaudiat Spes, right. then maybe throwing Mary in there is kind of, but I don't know that that's, I mean, that's grossly oversimplifying those profound. Agreed. But 
Mary drops off the map in terms of uh, piety and theology after 1965. So she's just kind of gone from the grid. And I even, it's interesting, I even talked to... I wonder to, what happened there. I know. So my I was talking to my thesis director about this, and I said, do you think it's too strong to state that... Because there's this guy um, who says that it, we went into a mariological winter, is what he calls it. And mm. I said, do you think that's too strong? He says, no, it happened. It wasn't the intention of the church, but he said, it, we have to wonder if the church was ready for that. You know, yeah. In the well, no, I think that's it. I think there's there's a lot of ideas that happened around then that are like profound ideas, but um, are being reassessed or kind of in question right now. Right. And some of them are like more important than others. Some of them are more included right. in like the magisterium than these other things that are more like speculative theology. And this one is like right at the center. Right. But maybe they had. I my my I guess my intuition is just that the the practice of relating to Mary was just so ingrained as like devotional. Right. It's not theological. Right. You know, it's not she's not like part of the mystery of what we're like the whole thing that we relate to and we're not trying to like incorporate her into that. Um and then, you know, there's always a struggle on the ecclesiological side of like well, are we a corporation or not? And right. how do we like how do we effectively not do that even if, you know, we've got structures that are important for the stability of the yeah, you know, the whole thing. So, just like self-understanding, I think yeah, um, that Mariological winter is it's interesting because it was like she was so close and then we we weren't ready. She was close, but theologically she had kind of she had gotten too separated. And, uh, mm. so I think you're right to say it was just like, she needs to be back in relationship with the church, but we can't bury her in the church, you know? Um, so how do you yeah, get, that's how do you get the relationship statement. back, but also recognize that her dignity transcends that because do you think, she can I is ask the mother. This one? I don't know. This one is probably controversial and you, you weren't there, but, um, do you think the influence of the, um, Protestant Reformation and their whole critique of Mary, their fear, like you mentioned at the beginning, um, and kind of confusion about our understanding of Mary influenced the way that she was treated since the Vatican Council, or even at the Vatican Council. Oh, you know, I, like, do you bury uh, yeah. her because you're just ashamed and you don't really know how? Oh, I think to, absolutely to honor her absolutely. without any fear. You know? Yeah, I think that there was a huge concern, ecumenical concern, and and legitimate, like a good one. Like we need to bring, we need to get con- talking and kind of let's set aside our differences and let's focus on the positive and stop fighting. That's a good good instinct. But when you're like. Well, we don't share Mary, so we got to kind of table her. You know, that's a that's a problem because what Mary is is Mary is a Christological reality. Like she explains and is the key for us to understand how God chose to come into the world. So she's not in competition with him. She just she reveals the mode that happens within the church. The church yeah. has a Marian mode of communicating Christ into the world. Church has a Marian posture towards God because Mary is the archetype and the model and as the heart of the church, she is the um, she's the very perfect center of the church, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, anyways, Paul the sixth. So, I think that's that's right on. I think part of this winter happened because of that. Paul the sixth. I think the more I read him, I'm like, gosh, this guy was really amazing, and uh, he just had some really profound stuff, and he suffered horribly. But in 196 November of 1965, right at the end of the council, he had a sense of like this was starting to happen. Mary was just starting to dissolve into the church. And so he 
declared Mary as the mother of the church. So what that does is it kind of reasserts, and he takes that from Augustine, Irenaeus, from the fathers. It's always theologically been there, but he just, because remember, you only define things uh, as corrective. You don't, we don't just make stuff up. It's not yeah. just like, what do we want to do on Tuesday? Yeah, yeah. So he def- makes this declaration, Mary, mother of the church, for that reason, to say, yes, she's in the church as the heart of the church, but her motherhood transcends it because the church is the body of Christ and Mary is the mother of Christ. So she must be the mother of the church. She, Her motherhood constitutes the church as a mother because by her motherhood is how God continues to come into the world. So that happened in 1965, um, and then it was just this spring that Pope Francis said I want to acknowledge that universally. So it was celebrated in Rome. There's a little altar. We've said Mass there before. Far left back corner of St. Peter's. Mater Ecclesia. Mater Ecclesia. Mother of the Church. Next to Leo the Great. Right. Yeah, yeah. And um, so it's it's been recognized since then. It's always been in the in the the heart of the church and in the tradition, but it's just it's being acknowledged now because we've lost the maternal dimension of the church. And the only way we can keep that maternal dimension is if we understand the relationship of Mary and the church. So I think that's what Francis is pointing to by saying, let's celebrate. Now, where did, so did, did Paul VI, I mean, those theologians had been talking about this, no? Yeah. I mean, I, I read a book, uh, De Lubac, Motherhood of the Church. Right. At one point, I don't know when he wrote that. Right. Like, this was in the, this was in the water, but he was just saying, you know, this is going to help kind of clarify things. And, yeah. Um, De Lubach was one of the great masters. Um, his book, Splendor of the Church, and everybody always asks me, what's the best book on the church to read? I always think, I always say that one. And he's got a chapter, and the last chapter's on Mary, uh, Mother of the Church, and it's just he's just amazing. Balthazar's big on this. Charles Journet, uh, from a Thomistic perspective, very big on this. But it's not really, the Thomistic approach does not really emphasize this. Yeah. So that's just to be known, that... Um, Part of the reason why the relationship of Mary and the church, there's, there was a, a recent ecclesiology book, it's very well done, um, that just came out. It's kind of the new kind of manual type thing for seminaries. No mention of Mary, the relationship of Mary and the church. And I'm like, eee! so. Well, I mean, why is that? Do you think by the time Aquinas is writing that this drift has already happened between this sort of patristic, I think what, symbolic kind of language and right. then this really like, Categorical, you know, compart. I don't. I don't know how to describe. It. I mean, Aquinas was happy to be a scientist. He was putting right. things in definitions and in places, and I we like him for that reason, right. you know. Right. But maybe that kind of is a different type of uh, lexicon. It's like a different theological way of speaking yeah. than this symbolic thing that seems to work better with this typology and stuff. It seems to be that the the, the preoccupation in Aquinas' time was to reinforce the Christological foundations of Mary, mm. which is to say that she is a part of Christology, right? So she's, which is hugely important for the early absolutely. church. So All he, the councils. And, and he's stressing grace, and but he's trying to, I think, kind of preserve that and protect that. And I think his lasting contribution is to do that. Mm. But there's just not the, rela- there's not the, the treatment of it. And um, so the the Thomistic tradition doesn't have that, and it still doesn't, and that's fine. It doesn't for have for ecclesiology, have, for ecclesiology, and for Mariology. So mm. that that's fine. Um, it doesn't have to have it, but it does help explain why, if you limit 
if you're if you're just looking at and reproducing manuals for centuries, and you're not doing what Aquinas was doing, and you're not look you're not reading the fathers, then you can see how it would just get limited, and limited, and limited, and then Mary would become more and more a devotional and kind of abstracted and um, separated. Ratzinger has this funny line where he says, "Mariology can never just be Mariological." Hmm. And what he means by that is Mary, as and this is a whole another podcast. Women teach us how to be in relation. They're inherently relational. Look at that. Their bodies are made yeah. to, to she literally is hold. About, she is about Jesus. She right. is about the church. So she he, is, you know. So Ratzinger calls her the nexus mysteriorum. She's the kind of the, the center point of all the mysteries. They all kind of hold together in Mary. And You guys uh, need to see these gestures. We can no, see. Yeah. Father John is a teacher who uses a lot of gestures. A lot and, of gestures. Uh, I, like, I benefit from them, but I don't know that you guys get to see these things. Oh, the Nexus better, had a the great Nexus, gesture. That was, uh, I mean, there's I a lot like of the Nexus. You just imagine. The Nexus. Well, you better stop me now, um, because we're already getting to close to the hour. This so is thank cool you, stuff, thank you for man. Being I love hearing I you talk it. about this stuff because you have such passion about it. Yeah. And you have, uh, like a profound knowledge of it. Well, and, thanks. Um, I'm just learning. I like it. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. It's really deep stuff. And the patristic vision of this is like, man, it's rich, but I'm, I'm still working to try and get my head around it. So thanks for letting, uh, letting me talk it out and thanks for your ideas, um, on it. So. Yeah, well, maybe we'll do some more on this in the uh, months to come. But that's uh, a little true today, they, Mary, Mother of the Church. Are they going to? Uh, this is just—I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but uh, they're going to publish prayers uh-huh. so that priests can pray this, you know, or make this celebration, and, and it'll show up in the liturgy, the hours, mm-hmm. and in the mass. Mm-hmm. Um, do they give any like catechesis on this? Like, I, I mean, is it—is there going to be like a some sort of report on why we're doing this, and how, yeah. or is that what? you were looking at before when they proclaim the feast yeah there's a little one page on yeah, the, in the bulletino um that's one reason why i wrote this for denver Catholics, no, i guess yeah i mean um, you're doing that to try work. and say hey this is important if you want to read this just search quitting old paths uh, is the name of it and that's a line from saint leo that i, I talk about um Quitting old paths. Cool, yeah. Catholic news agency. Um, but yeah, hopefully we get the word out and we keep teaching on this because it's really it's really an important topic. So yeah. look at this guy, he's got a shout out sheet. It actually Oh, yeah. This is like a reference from Apocryphal Acts in Syriac. Nice. But <laughs> that's the wrong side of the card. Classic. Do you want me to give shout outs? Uh let me give two and then um we will, uh, uh, and then I'm going to pass it off to you. First off, a little news. Um, we are now a nonprofit corporation. Catholic stuff. 501c3, folks. So, Andrea Polito, thank you for oh, seeing yes. this through. Look, After she has done years, so much work. We finally got it. So, um, what this means is we are a nonprofit, which means that we are able to take donations and, um, we're able to help the people who support us. So, like, there's a there's a team of people who uh, who make this happen. We just record and and some of our friends, and so we're finally able to kind of yeah. I mean, we support don't, them. We don't actually have a lot of costs. No, uh, we appreciate donations. We're gonna solicit them and everything, but uh, it's really just like um, there's people who should get compensated for all the work they do, and or at least a little bit for. <laughs> I, I don't think we we'll proportionally do it. Right. But, no. Um, kind of basic upkeep of equipment so we're not begging and taking right. kind of awkward donations and right. then um, possible expansion into, into other projects but not like anything huge just like um, there's some ideas maybe a website or a 
um, a little bit of merch. A little merch may be coming, yeah. So Andrea says, any donations will be tax deductible. Any current or future donations need to be either mailed or given via PayPal to J10 Initiative, not Catholic Stuff You Should Know. So the name of the, the donations you give is to J10 Initiative, not Catholic Stuff. Um, and uh, if you wanted to make an ask, this would be, oh, so that's for me, sorry. <laughs> uh, we're making an ask. Um, and then reminder, send everything to the house. Don't send it to Schloss Goebbels anymore. Send it to 1050 Pennsylvania Street in Denver, Colorado. J10 Initiative. Yep. Okay, go ahead. Hey, cool, man. Well, that's exciting. Go Was ahead. that it? I thought you had two. Uh, I, I, I'll go back to it. Go ahead. Okay. Um, just a shout out to Andy and Sarah Swafford. Oh, yeah. In town recently. They're, um, uh, they're connected with Benedictine um, what, College? Mm-hmm. University? Yep, College. He teaches there, yeah. Yeah, Benedictine College. He teaches there. Super cool dude. Super cool. Oh, man. He's got all this knowledge of Old Testament Semitic languages and has some studies there. And then he's a theologian that. on grace and nature, and he yeah. taught me about that at lunch. And um, really cool guy. Um, Andy, uh, his wife is amazing. She's like running around the country giving talks on emotional mm-hmm. virtue. She's got a new book called Emotional Virtue. How to, what is it? Drama free relationships or something like this? Yep. Um, you should probably read, I should probably read that book. Check it out. Um, but anyway, shout out to them. And then I want to shout out Jason and Michelle, Jason Farish. Uh, Jason Farish is my bud for a long time. We were in seminary together a long time ago. And uh, he has been out at the seminary for a long time, but just got engaged. Yeah. And uh, they were in town. And nice. we had a great time. And uh, so, what's up? Nice. Okay, uh, Steve Neppel sent me an email, my brother. Uh, yeah, And Steve. Uh, he did the uh, He's got a new baby. He's got a new baby, Lucy. Newly baptized by Deacon Daryl in uh, New York. New life. New life. That's right. Birth from New the birth. church. So uh, he was doing a theology on tap in Syracuse. I think this is yesterday. He just sent me this email. And he said there was a group of five or six young adults who listened to the podcast very faithfully. And he said religiously. In uh, Syracuse. And, and Syracuse. And he said, uh, met two of the girls in particular. And they were very excited to know that uh, we were brothers. And he says, will you give a shout out to Melissa Butner and Megan Curie? So, hey, what's up, Megan girls? and Melissa? Megan and thanks Melissa. for hanging with our bro, and uh, wish we were with you guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast. All right. Last but not least, the bottle that I'm holding, the greatest. Wait bottle a minute, I want to give one. Okay, to go the, ahead. To the East Coast. As long East as we're Coast. up there, um, I just got uh, some feedback back from my uh, one of my directors, Harold Attridge. Harold Attridge. Uh, Harold Attridge yes. at Yale. Um, I thought. You know, I'm, I'm very grateful for his help on this project, and he was just like awesome. Like his feedback is, it's, it's really smart. It's really helpful for me to think about. He catches all kinds of stupid mistakes I'm making and keeps me from looking that stupid. And um, and he's a great reader and just a brilliant dude. So um, I thought if anybody's at Yale, go uh, find Doctor Attridge um, and tell him. Father Mike says hi. Nice. That's good. Father Mike in Rome says hi. All right. That's good. That's a good request. I don't know if anybody at Yale listens, but anyway, nice. if you do. Excellent. Excellent. He, he was the dean in the divinity school, so they're likely to be in divinity if they're listening to this thing. Mm. Excellent. All right. Eduardo Bernardi and uh, Emilia, oh, what is, what's her nickname? Her grandmother calls me Emilia Gagin. This is uh, Irene Talioli, we've talked about. Oh, yeah. Up in Bologna. Yeah, yeah, yeah in Bologna. 
her friend Eduardo bought us this bottle of scotch. Longtime listener. Thank you, Eduardo. Um, thanks to Maria. Or I mean, Irene. And um, he lived in Edinburgh for a while, and so he knows his scotches, and he says, you got to try this. Aberlour is the name of the distillery, and this is the Ah Bundach. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. It sounds well, like Abuna. I'm not any better than you are. Abuna. Abunda. Abunda. And it's absolutely amazing. This stuff is, is incredible. It is really tasty. Oh, man. So I am very grateful. Um, Eduardo, thank you for listening. Thanks for a great day. We went up. We hung out with um, Irene's family. So Alberto and Maria Carla, thanks for your wonderful hospitality. Sister and brother were there. Eduardo gave my mom some balsamic vinegar from Modena, where he's from. It's older than we are. Right, Mary oh, Nepple. Yeah. And Mary Nepple was on me like, you better give him. That's a prize, you better man. give him People a shout out. People don't appreciate balsamic like they should. I have never heard my mom demand a shout out like she did for Edward. Now, here's another fun fact about <laughs> about Bologna that I didn't know. I mean, you you informed me of this. Um, I know they're they're famous for ragu, you know, right. like that red sauce that mm-hmm. everybody loves in a pasta. It's a little meaty, you know. It's just like classic classic red sauce for pasta, but also. Bologna, bologna, like yep. the weird pressed meat, and they that really I do thought eat was it. Actually, from Germany, and then kind of like named Bo- after Bologna, this city in, right. in Italy, only by jest. Yeah. But it's really there. It's really there. Nowhere they... else in Italy, I'm telling you, people, nowhere will you find anything like bologna. No. And they eat it, and they even mash it down into this tiny little like uh, bologna balls. Yeah, little bologna balls. It's my dad yeah. was very excited to eat his bologna. So, anyways, to the listeners up in Bologna, you guys were a great day together, and uh, to everybody, thanks for listening. And this will come out in Easter, so Lent is over. Happy Passion Tide, happy uh, Holy Week to you. Blessed Easter. We will see you all on Mike's May, heading May home 21st. for his sister's <laughs> sister's wedding. Yeah, that's uh, right. we're going on retreat, and uh, we will see you in a few weeks. So, basta. We're at one hour. We got to wrap this thing up. Ciao, folks. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Come see us on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram, Yelp us. Um, give us feedback on YouTube. Um, post us on your blogs. Do all the crazy things that digital young people do. Thanks. Happy Easter.